0: You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here, I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back, this is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health Podcast. This is episode 73. So um, today's episode, I, I wanna talk to you about something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and it has been a big discussion um, with other healthcare providers. You know, This is doctors, nurses, just people even that work in the healthcare field, medical assistants, um, surgical techs, things like that. It's also something that we're reading about, um, but it hasn't really caught, I think, the attention that it should, and it has many factors, but all of these things affect everybody, people, patients. It affects your ability to be able to access healthcare in the future and get good healthcare, and it is a problem that really seems to be getting worse, and it's something that you hear about more and more from the people that work in the field caring for patients directly, and something that it, from, from that perspective, um, that the people do not believe that other people, uh, the country, the healthcare institutions, uh, are doing much or caring much about there's a great quote, um, that I've seen a few times and I don't know, um, exactly where the quote came from. Uh, it was a doctor. Um, and so I don't know if it, it was his line or if he took it from somewhere else, but his line was, um, medicine is the only place where when the canary in the coal mine dies, they just buy a new canary. And that's been the feeling of a lot of healthcare workers for a long time. And and a lot of this came about with the electronic medical record. So the electronic medical record came out, and that was a huge, um, impactful thing on healthcare providers that were really just trying to do their job, take care of patients. And then all of a sudden, they were thrown this extra thing, this extra task, this extra nuisance, uh, and... You know, when you look at a lot of the studies and you talk to a lot of people, I, I do know people and doctors that love it, um, but it's a very small number, and a lot of people have found that it is a lot of garbage in, garbage out. It is a lot of time, you know, time constraint, and it, it very offers offers very little um, in the way of better healthcare for patients. In some ways, people and doctors and nurses have said it actually detracts from healthcare because you're spending twice as much time putting information in a computer as you would be giving care to a person. So that became one thing. And then I saw a lot of doctors just leave and retire. Most of those people were people that were older. Um, They were towards the end of their careers. They were looking at retirement coming up soon. And and they basically just said, you know, I'm not going to spend the last two years of my career trying to figure out this silly computer. I'm out of here. And they left. So that was one thing. The next thing was insurance companies, which, you know, has only gotten worse. Um, and insurance companies have made the job of providing care more and more difficult day after day, month after month, year after year, all the while they get major profits at the end of every year and give out huge benefits and bonuses and multi-million-dollar contracts to their CEOs. And, and I've talked about this in other episodes, so I'm not going to belabor that. Um, but that is really burdened doctors uh with trying to get you patients care because we have to walk out of a room um and try to talk to some other person on a phone to try to explain why we as the doctor have recommended a particular treatment or test and they're denying it so they're they're taking your money um you're going to see a doctor who's recommending care and then they're denying paying for those services that's basically what it comes down to um and then on top of that, then we have COVID. And, and you saw COVID hit and you saw doctors and nurses and other staff that work in hospital just inundated with some of the sickest people that they've ever seen in their entire lives and careers. And it happened once and then it got a little bit better and then it happened twice and then it got a little bit better and then it happened a third time. And now we're essentially in our fourth wave here um, in America and hospitals are just inundated And another part of that has been the change in perspective of patients when it comes to doctors and healthcare and science. And we've seen this for a number of years um, where, you know, and I see this in my patients. My older patients are very, they're very respectful of the medical profession. um, And I think that they walk in with the understanding that you're going to do what you believe is best for them based on the science. And when you offer them a Recommendation, um, they're going to take it and they're going to follow it and they're going to have appropriate questions. You know, there's the the old sort of um, memes and mugs and T-shirts that you may have seen around that says, you know, your Google search is not smarter than my medical degree. Uh, and and I'm all for people having questions, um, but it's amazing how many people come in and when you offer a diagnosis and a treatment, you know, it, it's not even a reasonable question. It's it's a nasty question and. A derogatory statement in a demeaning way that they speak to doctors and nurses and staff and access to care. You know, my colleagues in the UK. I mean, they're they're burdened now just in the arthroplasty world of, you know, they're looking at a two and a half year backlog. You know, they had a backlog before COVID and now a shutdown after shutdown after shutdown. So if you're a patient there and you wanted a knee replacement, you know, it's going to be two and a half or more years before you can have your surgery and. We have people calling and screaming and yelling at our staff in the most disrespectful ways because they want to be seen today um, and they don't want to wait three weeks for an appointment. And on the flip side, we really triage all of those things. So when someone calls, I mean, if I see a fracture um, as the reason for the consult or a tendon rupture, you know, those are things that we have to look at the medical record and scrutinize and we get them in. You know, so we're triaging on a regular basis. And we're seeing the people that need to be seen. But it also amazes me that the majority of the people that scream and yell and are the nastiest are usually the ones that don't even need surgery or want surgery or have anything that requires even a brace or, you know, injection. It's usually something minor, you know, but they've had pain for a couple of days. And that, that, whole, that whole collection of stuff is the stuff that doctors and nurses and healthcare providers are dealing with every day. So you can imagine that this pile has grown and grown and grown to a point now where the people working in the healthcare field can't see out of it. So there was actually just, I just saw a, a report that just came out today um, in um, one of our orthopedic journals. They just did a recent study, and, and they found that the rate the, the rate of burnout in orthopedic residents was 52%. That's a lot. So more than half of residents that are training to be orthopedic surgeons are already burned out. They haven't even started working. That's a big deal. There was a study by the AMA, um, I believe it was last year, and the burnout rate of average of all physicians was 42%, you know, so close to half. And that plus the EMR plus COVID, um, and now you're seeing just like in every other profession people are quitting you know so people are leaving the profession in droves i have seen more patients this year that have come in and told me that their primary care doctor quit than i remember in the past decade you know occasionally hear someone and you kind of knew they were getting older and you know patient came in oh this is your primary oh no they're they're retiring soon and i'm going to see their new partner But every single week, just about every single day, and sometimes more than once a day, I have a patient come in and say, you know, who would you recommend? My primary quit, my primary left, my primary's leaving medicine, my primary's going to concierge, my primary's going into business. But people are leaving medicine in droves. And even before that, um, there was a study by the Association of American Medical College. And this is the number that you'll hear sort of quoted over and over again. And again, this is before this craziness of COVID that just just made everything worse. By 2034, they expect a shortage of physicians in the United States between 37,800 and 124,000. That's a lot of doctors. And we are not going to have um, for you to see when you're sick. Now, the other thing, and again, unintended consequences, right? Like there was a thing that I saw the other day that talked about you know, COVID, and it was like, listen, if, if you're not being careful and you get sick and go to the hospital, just know that the more people like that that are now filling up hospitals, especially even now it's scary, is the pediatric hospitals, the pediatric population, the kids are getting hit with this Delta variant harder than anybody has seen with any other of the variants so far. So the kids are making basically pediatric hospitals full to the brim. Um, but if your kid got sick, there's a good chance that the hospital you take them to is going to be full. Now I see you could be full. And if you have a heart attack or you have a stroke or you have some other medical emergency, we're getting back to the point where the hospital that you would go to won't accept you because they're full. They're full of patients that have COVID again. And you're seeing, you know, these doctors and nurses that now are on their fourth go around of dealing with this pandemic and they were burned out and tired to begin with, you know, and you got healthcare institutions that, you know, still, you know, haven't really given the, the respect to get the emails of wellness and this and that, but you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, honestly, financial bonus, like, Hey, this is combat pay given financial bonuses. Um, there's still not, you know, the issues with PPE are starting to come back where because of these shortages, especially in Indonesia, where the rates of COVID are sky high, a lot of the medical supplies, you know, you'd know you be amazed how much of it gets made in different areas. I, re- I remember when we had a shortage of um, saline in those bags, because a lot of them were made in Puerto Rico. So when that hurricane hit, we were in shortages of those things. But a lot of the gloves and PPE are made in Indonesia. So now we're going back to these shortages again. And then what's happening is that these people are all leaving. You're inundating hospitals, and now we potentially may see, because I'm seeing this in other countries now, shutdowns again of elective surgeries. Why? Because the hospitals are full. So unintended consequences are the doctors that are already burned out, that are going to take care of you in the future and have really long wait times because more and more doctors are going to retire or quit the profession. These doctors are going to be less well-trained. And that's the reality. You know, I think the the doctors that got the best training. I mean, you look at orthopedics and trauma, trauma surgery. You know, unfortunately, but fortunately, a lot of the knowledge and training came from wars, places like Vietnam. I mean, a ton of doctors, even that I know now, um, that are retiring or just about ready to retire. But if they were in Vietnam, I mean, they were. It was trauma after trauma after trauma, and a huge amount of knowledge was learned from that horrible experience of treating all those injuries. Um, And, you know, even Afghanistan and the conflicts over there, you know, a lot of the doctors got great training when it came to trauma, um, but it was an unfortunate event, but it made them very good at treating those when they got back to the United States. So the doctors that are getting the best training now, you know, you're seeing doctors in the emergency room um, that are getting really good at treating these horrible respiratory distress, respiratory arrests. And the, what we call hospitalists, or these are doctors, critical care doctors that work in ICUs that are running drips and taking care of patients on ventilators and with special medicines to keep blood pressure, they are getting the best tr- you know training that they could ever have for a horrible reason. Um, but anything that comes at them in their careers, they'll be able to manage because they got through this. But when you have medical students that were unable to rotate at places because there was the pandemic, and places said, we don't want medical students, it's too risky, we don't have enough PPE, you can't come. They lost out on their training, years three and four. And then you had interns and, and residents, You know, and if you were a surgical resident, there was no elective surgery. You may have done some trauma, but you may have missed out on other elective hand surgeries, spine surgeries, joint replacement surgeries, foot and ankle surgeries in the orthopedics world. Um, and you know, if you were doing general surgery, you know, if there was an emergency gallbladder appendectomy, but a lot of the other elective surgeries, they were all canceled. ENT, you know, canceled. So you had all these elective surgeries that were canceled at different places around the country at different periods of time for different lengths. But these were people that were in the midst of their training to learn how to do these things, these surgeries, learn these skills to potentially take care of you and other friends and family members of you. So in the future, you are potentially looking at less doctors that may even have less training and less skill all because of everything that's been going on now. So, I mean, what can you do to change it? Well, you know, whatever you want to believe. I mean, I just, you know, tell people believe the science, you know, be safe, wear a mask. You know, if you don't have a medical contraindication to it, the data is getting stronger and stronger every day to get a vaccine. Um, but be mindful of if you're sick, stay home and if you're really sick, go to the hospital. Um, those are simple things that you can do. The, the other things that you can do is really you know, think twice um, next time that you see a healthcare provider or make an appointment. you know and, and it's hard because I understand patients that I see, I'm seeing them usually because they're hurting and they're in pain and they're scared and they're stressed out. I get that, I understand. Um, but also all of the people that you call and speak to and talk to, they're all there to try to make you better. Um, so the screaming and yelling um, and carrying on is not respectful, and it's it's not appreciated. And you know, hopefully, a lot of places, you know, I don't tolerate it. We don't tolerate it, and we call people out on it. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, some healthcare institutions or people at the front desk and you know certain providers may just feel that they have to take that. Um, and and you're even seeing hospitals that where patients. Have actually physically hit providers. They've tried to get these people to not press charges against the patient. And it's it's one thing, you know, if somebody was, you know, mentally disoriented and it wasn't really an on purpose thing. So that's a questionable thing. But when someone's angry and screaming and yelling, um, and they're derogatory verbally, um, especially physically, you know, they're going to be held accountable. And and there's no place for that in the hospital, in the office. In our world, you know, you want to be respectful of other people's, but just definitely, um, you know, and, and usually I, I kind of keep, um, I keep everything sort of close to my chest. But you know, my patients that I've known well, you know, there's the cursory like, hi, how you doing? How, how have you been? How are things going? And, it, and it's always been a yeah, good, fine, yeah. But you know, lately these discussions have come up, and I've been a lot more vocal and honest with them, which is what really prompted me to talk to you about these things. Um, and just know that the people that are working in healthcare they're they're hurting you know and you i think you saw this on the news before i mean you saw doctors and nurses just breaking down you know and i'm seeing that now like it's the pediatric world i mean these doctors are just beside themselves watching these young kids come in and be as sick as they are but a lot of these healthcare providers are really stressed um, and they're still trying to do their job um, to take care of you And going home and take care of their patients, of their families, and and, you know, unfortunately, in medicine, the person that they take care of last usually is themselves. So, all that you can do is just be mindful of that, and just notice if your healthcare provider, you know, may not seem themselves, um, or maybe be stressed because of what's going on in the world. um, But just understand that. Those things are for all of these reasons that I spoke about, and probably more, because you don't even know what's going on, the, you know, the psychosocial issues at home and things like that. You know, those are things that healthcare workers have to compartmentalize when they come into work. Um, but the fear is going forward that if more and more of these healthcare providers get more and more burned out, stressed out, what we call moral injury, and they leave the profession, that your ability to be cared for as a patient when you're sick or ill is going to be compromised in the years to come. And that's the scary thing. So, you know, do everything that you can to take care of yourself um, and, you know, be mindful of your providers because when you can't take care of yourself, they're going to help take care of you. So that's a mouthful. Um, It's a lot of information. uh, But I I think it's stuff that you really, you know, need to hear and be aware of. You may be aware of some of it, but you may not be aware of all of it. So until next time, uh, stay healthy, stay safe and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.